Can I just make a joke real quick? Uh, on that same test, yeah. if, if Andy made a 99, he would argue with the teacher about why he missed that question. Is that fair? <laughs> okay. yeah. I, I've done that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm sure you have. You want to know the Enneagram score, so you'd have to take that same thing and go a step deeper and say, well, why is he arguing with yeah. the teacher yep. for that 99? Is it because he's got a core of being not wanting to be a bad person? He has to be good, so therefore he has to be perfect? Or is it because he wants control? And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different things that underline what drives that argument. And that's where it gets interesting to me. Hmm. Okay. I'm a little more interested now. My, my curiosity yeah. has been piqued. Andy, we're going to need you to lie down on a couch real quick. And we're going to talk to you about when you were a kid <laughs> and try to figure out a little bit more why you're such a challenger and such it's a maverick. Your childhood trauma. We're going to yeah. go through all that today. Hello and welcome to the Digital Orthodontist Live. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and today I am joined sort of pseudo-virtually, I guess you could say, by two of my best friends in the orthodontic profession. I almost said the orthodontic space, but prefer it to be called a profession. I guess it's an industry too, but the orthodontic profession. And we're going to discuss personality tests and how they can help you become a better orthodontist, spouse, and friend. First, over my left shoulder, we have from Rochester, Minnesota, one of the first orthodontists that I met after graduating uh, from residency back when we were both limping along in our cold start practices. Uh, you probably know him best as the braces guy or perhaps as Karen the hygienist, Dr. Grant Collins. That's where we'll add the clapping. I like the clapping, the audience clap right there. Um, also, from Phoenix, Arizona, a founder of Orthodontic Pearls and the Mother of Pearls Meeting, he's a lifelong student and fitness nut, and he's someone I always enjoy having friendly arguments with, Dr. Andy Sarpadar. Hey, Kyle. Good to be here. Thanks for having you. Uh, thanks for being here, not for having me. Thanks for uh, <laughs> agreeing to take some time out of your day to, to be here. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Grant. Doing great. Uh, yeah, we love this kind of stuff. Yeah, I was like being the polite guy. I got to let Andy go first. Um, man, Andy and I love talking about this stuff. And the fact that you invited us both on at the same time, this is going to be fun for us. We appreciate it. It's going to be real fun. We, this, is, uh, this is like the final frontier of uh, podcasting uh, in video where we have in the room so we're sort of tangibly together but obviously we're virtually apart so phoenix minnesota memphis why not um so as i mentioned uh, tonight we're going to go through uh, personality tests to be fair as a disclaimer if it's even necessary it turns out that uh, andy uh, grant and myself we are not psychologists we don't have phds in psychiatry or these things uh, we're just very interested in personality tests it's something that over the last 10 years is a you know, a business person and as a leader, a uh, manager of people, uh, I've really found a lot of value in these topics. So yes, there are people who have written books and dissertations that know more about this than we do, but hey, we're going to enjoy talking about it. Hopefully it'll spur you on to uh, research these topics more. So specifically, we're going to discuss the advantages and the insights that can come from understanding personality tests and how having your teams, and I think your loved ones, take these tests themselves can be very helpful and make a big difference. Um, next, Andy is going to help us zoom in on the Myers-Briggs personality test, and then Grant's going to discuss the ever-popular Enneagram. And lastly, if we have time, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Colby and also, also the DISC profile. That's a mouthful. Um, but first, I want to thank uh, tonight's uh, episode sponsor, Neon Canvas. Neon Canvas is the premier marketing agency for orthodontists. We have a completely U.S.-based team featuring over 50 experts in each part of digital marketing, uh, everything from search engine optimization to web and graphic design, branding, photo and video services, and much more. Uh, Neon Canvas's uh, clients also will now receive a collection of 13 orthodontic systems from my very own practice when they sign up. Uh, we'll be debuting that at the AAO, so make sure you stop by the booth. Um, if you're ready to grow your practice like never before, please check us out at neoncanvas.com. All right, so personality tests. Let's talk a little bit about advantages and some insights. Uh, Grant, why don't you start with this? Uh, what's your background? What's your experience like with personality types? Types, tests. Yeah, so what about both? Yeah. Tests. All the above. We start we started with the Colby way back in the day, and that was just a great starting point just to understand how people process information. It's how we can just set people up for success. About three or four years into my career as an orthodontist, I saw my wife um, starting to get into the Enneagram and seeing some really cool changes in her life. 
And she said, you might check it out too. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole and um, have used this personality test, not only to make our practice better and help get the best out of people and understand people, but also to kind of understand myself better too. So it's been awesome. Very cool. Andy, what about you? Well, I think my first uh, experience with personality test was uh, Neil Kravitz's lecture at the first MKS. Um, I think you were there. You were definitely there, Kyle. I, I think, Grant, I might have seen you at the second one. Um, but he talked about how you always want to hire S personalities, and he goes through the DISC assessment and how he uses that um, both as a screening tool and then also as a placement tool. Um, so I, uh, I really went down the rabbit hole with MBTI, uh, the Myers-Briggs Type Index, um, just, a, just a year or two before COVID. Um, at the time, I was uh, partners with six other orthodontists um, for orthodontic pearls and then the meeting that we were developing. And uh, through our interactions, I started to become aware of patterns that, that kept repeating. Um, and that made me very fascinated. I started drawing like diagrams as to like, if this guy says this, this guy's going to counter with this and, and around and around we go. Um, then MBTI came across my radar. I learned so much about myself through reading that uh, profile. Uh, I felt like I was seen. I felt like it was um, extremely accurate. And then as I started examining the interactions of my type with other types, a lot of those patterns started to um, be, become more defined for me. And it obviously applies to my practice, to my family. Uh, and I, it just became something I was fascinated with. So a lot of self-study uh, since then. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Andy, do you use personality tests in your practice? Uh, we do. We kind of do it loosely. So we don't actually require anyone to take the exam, but um, everyone ends up doing it. And um, I don't require it because uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't, I, I'd be very cautious about using these as a screening tool. Um, I do find that it can limit your perceptions of people's potential. So I try actively to avoid that. Um, but also it's deeply personal and I don't force people to share that information. Um, however, what I found is that just by making them aware of the test and aware of the fact that everyone around them has taken it and we're always discussing it, um, people are actually very enthusiastic about learning and then being a part of that discussion as well. Um, so I do feel that we've struck a pretty good balance of using it for its intent, which is communication um, and empathy. Uh, so not an official uh, requirement in our practice, but something that is very ingrained in our culture nonetheless. Yeah, I, I think it's actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it might be illegal to use um, or against policies, whatever you want to say, to use most personality mm -hmm. tests for uh, hiring screening. I believe it's the Colby Index that's the only one that's actually like legal. Mm -hmm. That's it's the best I understand. Um, I think you can also use the Wonderlick if you would like, mm -hmm. which incidentally is Kathy Colby's uh, father, I think, did the Wonderlick, which is like the quarterbacks always take the Wonderlick exam. And if you've ever tried to take the Wonderlick, it's hard. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, fun fact, the highest scoring quarterback in NFL history on the Wonderlick, does anyone know who that is? Mm. Ryan Fitzpatrick. No so, yeah, Fitzmagic. He's a highly intelligent guy. I think he went to Harvard. I could be wrong. Uh, we'll edit that and dub over how I said uh, <laughs> Harvard if that's incorrect. So, uh, real quickly, Grant, do you use uh, anything in your uh, practice for this? Yeah, I mean, we have them take a series of things, you know, um, we do a, the Colby at first, we do the language of love, we do Enneagram, um, just to get a profile on them. Like Andy said, a little different than on our side where I just don't make them, uh, I don't force them to grow. I don't force them to look if they don't want to, but it does help me understand them so I can uh, be a better leader to them. Um, know how to set them up for success. We kind of, how we recruit at our office is we find someone who matches our mission and purpose that if that's an alignment, then I can build the position around who they are, but I have to understand who they are, what makes them tick, what, you know, what their motivations are and it, sadly kind of what triggers them too. And that helps me understand that. So I don't have to force them to use it or, or whatever. It's more for me. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, we, we've done different tests at different times for whatever it's worth. Um, We've done Colby. Uh, I kind of find that it's like a good good thing at an annual, uh, you know, kind of team planning meeting to like 
do a new personality test. And so we're working with uh, Dino Watt as a consultant and he had a a totally different one. So there's, you know, there's a dozen or more out there that are popular. Language of love. Yeah. My love language. Um, I actually don't have a love language. So, uh, that's, that's weird. So <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to Myers-Briggs. I don't have enough feelings to have a love language. I'm kidding, of course. All right. So let's jump in, if we can, with the Myers-Briggs personality test. To be honest, probably it's my favorite uh, of the ones. It's the one that I feel like makes the most sense to me and that I feel like is informative. At the same time, with any personality test, and I think we'd all agree with this, they're only so perfect. Uh, you know, Myers-Briggs you know, divides people into 16 personality types. Clearly, there are more than 16 personality types. It's sort of like in orthodontics, class one, class two, class three. Obviously, there's a lot of different types of bites and variations therein of, you know, so class two. I think when I did my thesis, there were like eight different types that we sort of, you know, split that off into, you know, small maxilla, small mandible and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, So nothing is perfect, but I do think it's helpful. So just for a little bit of history, for anyone who's like curious, the father of personality tests, uh, it's largely agreed to be Sigmund Freud. And so, of course, he believed that personality was composed of three components, the id, the ego, the superego, and so on. Uh, Personality tests really got their start, at least in the United States, around the time of World War One. They were trying to screen uh, for whether soldiers would have shell shock or not. And around that same time, Catherine Briggs actually began her research into personality. And so she didn't end up getting around uh, introducing Myers-Briggs until about the 50s. Uh, and then it became popular in the 1970s. And so that's sort of a, a quick background on that. And then, Andy, we're having you talk about Myers-Briggs because you, you gave one of my favorite lectures that I've seen, let's just say, ever. And I'm not even blowing smoke. I, I just... It was either you or it was that it was on Myers-Briggs. Maybe it was both. I don't know, but it, it was excellent. <laughs> and so I uh, guess go ahead and walk us through the Myers-Briggs real quickly if you can. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure it was a subject material because I find this stuff um, absolutely fascinating as well. Um, so it, Myers-Briggs is based on uh, the work of Carl Jung, and he was big into the main archetypes and uh, cognitive functions. Um, there's a layer of uh, beneath this that involves cognitive functions. I'm not going to get too far into the weeds there because it does get confusing. And that's part of the reason why Catherine Briggs and her daughter, um, Isabel Briggs Myers, developed the uh, 16 personalities of their Myers-Briggs type index was to make Carl Jung's work a little more accessible to people. Um, So at the heart of this, you mentioned 16 personalities. Uh, They're made up of a four letter combination uh, in different orders. Uh, So that basically comes out to 16 possible permutations. Um, The first letter is either going to be E or I, which stands for extrovert versus introvert. This has to do with where we draw our energy from and where our focus is. Are we more within or without? Uh, Next comes the uh, intuitive versus the sensor. That's the N versus the S. Uh, So an intuitive, I like to think of them as a little more abstract. They're focused on making connections between objects and um, events, Um, looking for the meaning behind it. Um, less focused on the tangible or organizing that information in a very structured way, the way that a sensor would be. Um, Then next you have thinker versus feeler. And I like to think of this as how do you make decisions? So a thinker is going to make their decisions, their judgments very um, logically uh, from a place of reason, uh, sometimes disregarding their own feelings about things or definitely the feelings of others. Whereas a feeler, they're going to make their decisions based on what are my own internal values or what is going to cause the greatest harmony with those around me within my tribe. Um, and you can see there's a, there's a subtle difference between those two. And then finally, the last letter, that's going to be either J or P. And um, a J, that stands for a judger. They're going to be a little more directed, a little bit more focused in their approach. Um, They also tend to be a little bit tidier, cleaner, um, very organized and decisive. Whereas a P, they're going to be a little bit more open-ended, more freewheeling, more adaptable. You could think of these types. Um, I like to think of them as open-minded as well. Uh, So between those four categories, between those four letters, you're going to get an interesting combination depending on where you land. Yeah, very well done. It's hard to summarize this stuff, and you did an excellent job. Um, So I think it would be helpful for us to sort of share what ours are. And a lot of you watching 
I'm sure know what yours are. And if you don't, I would recommend going to 16personalities.com. That's numerically one, six, and then personalities.com. It takes like 10 minutes. And it not only will give you what your Myers-Briggs uh, is, but it will also then compare you to famous characters from books and from you know the real world and history and so on, which I think helps make more sense of it. Also, if you're a huge fan of shows like The Office or you know shows like that that people have a lot of invested time into, Every character has, you know, people have voted and argued over this as to what their Myers-Briggs is. And so uh, on, on The Office, I'm Oscar for whatever that's worth. Um, and so <laughs> I, I'm, an, I'm an INTJ. And so I'm introverted. I'm intuitive. I'm definitely a thinker and not a feeler. And I am judgmental. And that is me to a T. And so in 16 Personalities, that is the type of an architect. And so someone who loves to plan things, that is like totally me. Uh, Grant, what are you? I'm an INFJ, and uh, Andy has has been very patient with me as I've <laughs> gone through this test multiple times. He's been on the phone for me for hours just trying to narrow this down. But this one, I recently took it, and it really did feel right when I read through the description. And I'm ex actually super excited to jump on the phone with one of you two again and okay. learn a little bit more about what that means from your perspectives, too. In fairness, I guessed what you were, uh, and I think that makes you an advocate is what it is. And so basically, we had the same personality. Um, and so for, for better or for worse, and that's the other thing I would say is that there's nothing innately bad about a personality. There are pros and cons to having these different sort of personality makeups. Um, but you're basically the sweeter, more kinder uh, INTJ. So uh, your, fe your I didn't feelings forward. Tell me that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Grant and I are very similar like in the way that I think we yeah. are both very creative and love working on projects and doing those things on our own. Um, I hated group yeah. projects. You may have preferred those. Um, I hated them. Uh, and so a lot of this makes sense yeah. now on this side. I wish I could talk to my 13-year-old self and be like, it's okay <laughs> that you are the way that you are. Um, okay, so Andy, what, yeah. so Andy, what are you? Yeah. So I'm an ENTP, and that one's known as the debater. So um, going with the uh, the office analogs, I would be Jim from the office. So oh. just uh, in the in the sense of you know sort of generally sarcastic, kind of like understanding the the feel of everything, but then not necessarily always utilizing that in the best way. Sometimes I use it more as an agent of chaos or to to sow. Um, disorder. What we do as ENTPs is fundamentally, we're also called the devil's advocate. We like to look for alternatives to what is happening. Um, and then sometimes somewhat passive aggressively, we will respond with jokes or um, sarcasm in such a way that sort of illustrates an, another perspective, another option, um, just because we like to mess with people. So uh, that's, I, I, I enjoy it. Some people find it annoying. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's kind of fun, but just to touch on what you guys noticed about your, you're off by that F and the T letter, your I and TJ and grand is INFJ. Um, that letter in your case has to do with how you influence those around you. And Grant is going to be more of an extroverted feeler. Um, again, I'm not getting into cognitive functions, but that means he's going to persuade more from a, you know, what is better for the group? You know, we're, we're all in this together. Um, we want everyone to be happy, we want everyone to be fulfilled. And his leadership style would probably reflect that, I would imagine. And then Kyle, yours as a thinker, as an extroverted thinker, you're more about directing because this is the structure, this is the way it is. Like you set up the pieces, it's like you're playing chess. And you're just telling the pieces where to go and it's all going to work. And you see that as the most strategic, most objective way. And in a lot of ways, you're right. But sometimes you might struggle with getting people emotionally on board with that vision, which is where Grant would that would be his strength. Yeah, mm -hmm. we would make great co-leaders, I yeah. think. Um, we would. We would, <laughs> hate, we would hate to have to work <laughs> with anyone else and have to share that. But we would be good at it, I think so. Um, <laughs> So we could go into a lot more of this. I mean, 16 personalities is like a whole lot. And I feel like it would be almost repetitive to maybe go kind of one after another after another. And so I guess what I would just say in the interest of time is seek these things out. Take the test. Find what your score is. Find the people that it compares you to. I think you're getting like a little bit of a taste of, uh, you know, the differences that exist even between us. Um and then I guess we'll end with this question on Myers-Briggs is, 
how can this help orthodontists? I mean, this is the point of this podcast. Is I don't want this to just be us talking about some topic that feels tangential. I don't think it is. I think it's like very applicable. But how can this help you work better with your teams? And maybe some examples from that. Grant, you want to jump into that? Uh, yeah. Are you talking about personality tests in general? No, let's talk Myers-Briggs, which you're probably the wrong one to ask because this is not yours. Uh, Andy. Yeah, I'd ask Andy. Yeah, let's ask Andy. <laughs> You're going to yeah. phone a friend real quick. So, Andy. Yeah, I'm going to phone a friend immediately. Yeah. How, how can we use Myers-Briggs, Andy? Well, I think that um, at its heart, uh, any personality test, including Myers-Briggs, um, for me, is about developing empathy and communication skills. And as leaders, that is the foundation of everything that, that follows from there. So I think that you um, first develop a self-awareness. Um, I think it was Aristotle, he said something to the effect of, um, I'm going to butcher this quote, but uh, self-understanding self is the key to wisdom or the beginning of wisdom. And I think that first, it's important to use it to understand your own filters, to understand your own triggers and the way that you encode information. Um, and then secondly, once you learn about some of the other personality types and how they interact with your own, you understand how some of the messages that you're encoding are being received maybe differently from what you're expecting, and then perhaps learn to tailor the message in the way that you want it to be received, as opposed to the way that you want to, to present it. Um, so leadership, I think, is a huge one. Uh, having your team on board with this, I think, is very powerful. Uh, it has gotten to the point sometimes where we're actually preemptively avoiding conflict because uh, team members have started to recognize this is the way I respond when an event occurs or when someone speaks to me in this way and recognizing the pattern and interrupting it before it causes some sort of dysfunction. Um, a big part of that I always tell my team is when you're when you're emotional about something, take a break. That's not the time to have the conversation. A lot of times we retreat to our corners. We reevaluate our own personalities, sometimes um, even going so far as to look at the other persons and then come back to the table when we're a little bit calmer and then we can face it um, rationally. So, yeah, yeah I, I would say self-awareness, communication, empathy, all those things are absolutely critical for teams. And that's what this provides. Yeah, I, I think in addition to teams, obviously, there's a huge component that is, um, you know, for those of us who have spouses or significant others, like learning how to work with them and collaborate with them and be, uh, you know, obviously more productive. Productive is the wrong term, but again, I'm a, you know, I don't have a lot of feelings, so that's 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 how I intuit how to say that. But um, it's how to be a better loved one, let's just say. Um, and I think you. So my wife is an ENFP. So we share in common only the intuitive nature, which is is helpful. I think is how we see the world is from more of an abstract or high level uh, place. You know, if I I would have a hard time being married to a sensor. You know, someone that uses their five senses mm -hmm. to in, intuit the world, and you know, a lot of people that you know want, they want their feet on the dirt, as it were. Um, at least that's how I see it. They want to see it and smell it. I just want to think about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's funny when I plan a vacation, I often enjoy the planning of the vacation more than the vacation itself. That's like a total like <laughs> INTJ thing. How sad is that? Right. Hmm. Um, so w when they talk about how the world will be like a meta universe in the future, I'm like, that doesn't sound so bad, you know, anyway. Um, and so <laughs> I, I think learning though, so we have the in in common, she's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. As an introvert, I'm energized by being by myself, but I can play extrovert just fine. Uh, but when I'm at a meeting, and I know this is true of Grant, and this is how I knew you were an introvert, like you will want to spend time in your room or eat by yourself or have this time to recharge, whereas Andy's going to be at the bar hanging out, smoking cigars like the whole weekend. Um, and I can play that, but to, only to a point. And if I go all extroverted for a weekend, I'm just totally spent when I get home. And after work, it's the same way. Like I will talk to patients. I will be like the best version of myself. And then I go home and I have nothing left to give to those around me, which is a problem. So those are things you work mm -hmm. on too. So, but with my wife, our biggest point of friction is in the, la the latter two. And so it's that she is feelings forward. I'm logic forward. And also that interface between the J and the P where I'm very judgmental and she is more perceiving. And in that sense, I'm a little bit more structured and she's a little less structured. So mm -hmm. she's a little more willing, like you said, to kind of be in the moment. And those are good qualities to have. It makes me more difficult to uh, to work with and deal with. And so 
anyway, hopefully that's helpful to people. There's a lot more that could be said. Andy, thanks for bringing that to us. Um, I think it's been very helpful for really my relationships, uh, even more than with my team. Um, let's jump into the Colby if we can. And so, uh, like Grant, I got to start with Colby. It was actually, I think through Dustin Burleson, he, he kind of introduced me to the Colby and then we used, that was a first, uh, test that we did with our teams actually. And so I still recall what people's, uh, Colby's are and we'll get into that, but, um, and then we'll do the Enneagram afterwards, which is Grant's baby. Um, and so uh, this is one of our bonus tests, so we won't spend a lot of time on this. But again, I want you to sort of see all the different variety of tests if you're not familiar with any of this, and then you can dive into the ones that sound most interesting. And so uh, the Colby Index, it's an assessment tool that's used to measure an individual's natural way of getting things done. They call that cognitive as, a, as opposed to cognitive or how you think through things. Cognitive is how you get things done or how you do work or how you approach a task. Um, it looks at four key areas. The first is fact finder. The second is follow through. Third, quick start. And the fourth is implementer. And so what you'll end up having is, is a score from one to nine, one being very weak to nine being very strong in each of these four categories. And so you'll have a four number uh, score. And so fact finder is the part of the Colby index that measures an individual's ability to identify patterns and facts that are needed to solve a problem. The follow through uh, measures an individual's ability to complete a task by following through on the details, as the name would suggest. Quick starts uh, can initiate tasks or projects quickly and get them rolling. And then an implementer is uh, someone who can take action and implement the task or project to completion. And I know that's a little confusing, especially if you've never heard of it. Um, and so let's start, just start with our, what our scores are, and maybe that'll help. Uh, so I'm a 9632, which means I'm a heavy, heavy, heavy fact finder, a 9 out of 9 fact finder. I have good follow through, so I have a 6 out of 9. Now, where things start to fall off is quick start. I'm a 3 quick start, which means that that is not natural for me to get rolling with stuff very quickly, which totally makes sense because I want everything to be planned out. I want to research it. A nine out of nine fact finder again. So it's any wonder that I ever get anything done. And then I'm not a big implementer. I'm a two implementer. Uh, Grant, you're more balanced, which doesn't surprise me. Um, you're a seven, six, four, three. So we have the same follow through. You're a little bit less of a fact finder. You have a healthier level of fact finder probably uh, with a little more quick start. And then you're, you're not a great implementer either. Uh, and most people aren't for whatever that's worth. And then Andy is, as you would assume from his personality, not a fact finder. He's a three fact finder. Uh, he's a six follow through guys. We have the same follow through. Look at us. We're pretty good at finishing <laughs> tasks. You know, um, uh, Andy is, as I would have assumed is a seven quick start and then a four implementer. Um, so maybe let's just talk about that, uh, Grant, cause I know, you know, this test very well, just give me your thoughts on Colby. Cause I know they'll be good. Yeah. I mean, we used it a ton to start and, um, it really helped me in just understanding when I was going to delegate tasks to someone, what to expect from them. I mean, if I, if I was giving a very high quick start, something that needed some fact finder, uh, energy, man, it just wouldn't be what I expected back. And I think even yeah. I hired my first executive assistant that I hired was super high quick start, really low follow through, really low fact finder. And I'm like, holy cow, like nothing's getting done. I'm not getting reminded to do what I need to. Like things aren't getting researched and, and that's really what I wanted. So I, I, I didn't take the time to really understand who she was before putting her to a position that really she hated. And so we moved her to something that resonated better with her. And I found someone that had a higher follow through and a higher fact finder that could help me on the back end. So to me, it just helps me understand how to delegate in a much in a way that resonates with people. Yeah. So. See, I knew you'd have a good answer. So succinct and well thought out. Excellent. Um, Andy, do you have a lot of experience with the Colby or not so much? So I, ha I have some, and uh, again, Grant was the one who uh, first introduced me to Colby um, several several years ago. And uh, I've so far we have not taken this with my team, although they are knocking on the door. They brought it up just again the other week, so um, that is on my uh, very long list of things to implement. Uh, I am only a four on implementation, so you know we'll we'll get there um, hopefully by the end of the year. But um, with Colby, uh, my wife and I, uh, Jenny's son, she took it as well. And for those of you who don't know, my wife's also an orthodontist, 
and we do practice together. Um, so what we found is that we were exactly the opposite um, on mm. both Colby and on Myers-Briggs. Um, Enneagram is a little bit more interesting. We'll, when, when Grant gets to that, maybe we'll, we'll chat. But uh, what we found is that because we're the opposite, we approach tasks from the opposite ends of the spectrum here. And what I recognize, you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm at, at the bar at all the, uh, all the events. Uh, my wife, she's either at home most of the time, or if she's there, she's usually in the hotel room, might come out for a drink if I force her to, and then just go right back. So um, yeah. very, very uh, opposite, but in what we recognize as complementary energies. Some of the things that were really invigorating to me, you know, like going out with a dentist and um, meeting people and networking, um, are very draining for her. Whereas with my low fact finder, there were certain aspects of a startup practice that were mind numbing to me. And I would spend 10 minutes on, on a task and just be done for the day. And, uh, what I recognize is a lot of times Jenny would, in my opinion, pick up the slack on that. And I felt so guilty that I would try to reward her with, why don't you go to this meeting? Why don't you learn this stuff and I'll stay home and I'll do all the tedious stuff. And she would never take me up on that. Um, once we did these exams, it made me recognize that was counterproductive. I need to keep her in that fact-finding role, and I need to continue to be out um, doing the extroverted thing uh, because that's where we get the synergy and not necessarily the, um, I guess, equality. You know, there's a, there's a difference between those two. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, my wife and I are very different, uh, almost opposite with Myers-Briggs and basically opposite with Colby, and so she's a good quick start. Um, and I, again, I'm a fact finder. And so I always use as an example, like if I were going to purchase socks on Amazon, that process for me would include researching multiple different types of socks, probably looking up at least like three or four top 10 lists, um, looking back through the socks that I had purchased in the past for Anna, it's just, you know, it's like uh, hitting a slot machine to pick the socks. It's like whatever socks show up first and then she's going with them. Um, and so she may get the wrong size socks ordered, but she will have those socks a lot quicker than me. And so some tasks in life don't need the level of precision and research to get to the desired solution. Um, another thing I would say is, is that you sort of got at this, is that it's about energy. And so someone who is a high fact finder will be energized by a task that requires fact finding, whereas someone who has a high quick start would be exhausted by that. And so you could mm -hmm. be setting people up for failure in your organization by giving them tasks or giving them positions mm -hmm. that don't fuel that part of their cognitive abilities. Um, so I think that's, mm -hmm. from a managerial standpoint, that's why this is so helpful, is you may have the right people on your team or in your organization in the wrong positions. Um, and so I think that's mm -hmm. been very helpful. So, all right, that was the Colby, K-O-L-B-E. Go look it up, it's really great stuff. Um, Enneagram, Grant, I know you've been just champing at the bit to get to this. Um, and so uh, I'll be honest with you, of all the personality tests I've ever done, this is the one that just has not resonated with me. And I feel like it's been such a big deal over the last few years, especially in the Christian church for what it's worth. Like there's a lot of people that are like Enneagram coaches, um, whereas all the other ones make sense to me. I, I can't, like I've taken the Enneagram after many years of refusing and people tell me, oh, you're going to be a one. Oh, you're definitely a five. I'm an eight and all this kind of stuff. Didn't make any sense to me, uh, which I guess all this stuff doesn't until you take it. But um, uh, it's never land with me like the Myers-Briggs, let's say. Uh, so what is the Enneagram? What am I missing? Correct me here, sir, please. No, you're not missing anything. I think your experience is actually pretty common. Really? And I think... There's different levels that you um, can go with the Enneagram. And I think you'll see, particularly in some of the, like you mentioned earlier, um, the Christian church or different religions that use it at a certain level. And But it's actually, the Enneagram is pretty universal with all religions, I'd say, or just even on spiritual journeys. Okay. And it's pretty cool. You'll see it in even the Eastern religions. And um, a lot of it's based on, the growth is based on even things you'll see in Buddhism and, and just knowing self and understanding ego and shadow. So I think the reason why I would say, you know, the Enneagram um, is inaccessible is it's, an, it's not as simple as looking at just behaviors. And if you just try to, to, to map it on just behaviors, you're probably going to be led astray multiple times on what your number is, because there's a lot of overlapping behaviors hmm. among all the numbers. It is actually, so it's nine personality types and it's nine ways of interacting with the world and seeing the world. Think of it as viewpoints of the world. And we all see the world differently. And 
what makes you unique in your number isn't just your behavior, like I said, it's the subconscious motivation and fear behind said behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is not something that's easy to put your finger on. So you can't just put in a test and expect it to be accurate right away. You can get it pretty narrowed down by looking at, I would even say, I used to say top three, but I would say top five things I would look at hmm. and go read your numbers. The reason it's not easy to know right away is we latch onto a description and th there's going to be things in each one of the numbers you'll relate to and things you don't. And you make quick assumptions based on that. And you think this has got to be my number because I read this and I, I relate to that, but that's not always true. And so um, really it takes a lot of, of inner work, a lot of looking and a lot of looking at your, your um, I don't want to say shadow self, but looking at your own ego and then the subconscious sometimes if you if you look for keys i can tell you one hint is when you're reading through the numbers you'll probably read one of them at one point that makes you cringe that you don't want to be you're onto something your subconscious is probably your body's responding in some way in that moment that that it it, it knows something and it's, it's going to be one you don't want to be too usually and so i would stop on that one and read it read it a little bit more but um the the, the whole process of Discovering your number is a journey, I'd say, too. And there's some things I can share with what I think would be helpful with that, too. Okay. I, I am not fixed yet. So you're going to have to f keep working to fix me here um, because <laughs> the, even that explanation felt so intangible and uh, superfluous <laughs> to me. I know I need I need I need I need to know my number uh, to a confidence degree yeah. and I need to reject the p-value here. So um, but seriously, yeah. let, let's Perfect. go ahead and go into the Enneagram category. Some help us understand some of that. If, if you can talk to us about that. Yeah. And I think that's like you said, a, there's a, a way of thinking you you and Andy are both very objective thinkers. You're very I need, you know, a tangible thing to yeah. be able to understand. That's why the Enneagram can be challenging. So. Um, one through nine, I can read them off here. One's a yeah. reformer. It's the perfectionist. Um, and I, let me just give you an example. Uh, I'm going to go through the numbers and I'll give you an example of Great. why behaviors don't, don't quite do this. But the reformer, two, I'm going to read them off, is the helper. Three is the achiever. Four is an individualist. Five is an investigator. Six is called the loyalist or the loyal skeptic. Um, seven is the enthusiast. Eight is a challenger. And nine is a peacemaker. Um, really, you kind of look at it like, let's look at the reformer. And um, this is an example of why behaviors may not always be the tell-all. So you look at someone who's a perfectionist or a performer, and they'll take a test, and um, you know they'll take you know an exam in school, and let's say they get one point off, they get a 99, and they they're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's that really was hard for me. I I, <laughs> I I didn't get a perfect score. It's because they're telling themselves if they don't if they're not perfect, they cannot be good. That's their core desires to be good. Whereas a, a three like me, who's an achiever, um, my core desire is to be successful. And I have to do that because if I'm not successful, if I fail, I have a deep sense of worthlessness. So I can get a 99. I'll actually be pretty okay with that if it's the best score in the class. <laughs> um, but I, I won't be okay with it. Like I'm okay with getting points off, right? But to me, it's a, it's a, a desire of failure. It's a, it's, it's a desire to not fail. Otherwise, I have a deep sense of worthlessness. So it's that underlying... Um, you know, it's the underlying motivation that's hard to grasp. And I think that's the intangible part that you probably struggle with because can, it's not it's measurable. Can I just make a joke real quick uh, on that same test? Yeah. If, if Andy made a 99, he would argue with the teacher about why he missed that question. Is that fair? <laughs> okay. I, I've done that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm sure you have. Um, but let's be honest, Andy, you were never getting a 99. I mean, come on, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Always. I mean, really. If you want to know the Enneagram score, so you'd have to take that same thing and go a step deeper and say, yeah. well, why is he arguing with yeah. the teacher yep. for that 99? Because is it because he has a core sense of worthlessness? Is it because he's got a core of being not yes. wanting to be a bad person? He has to be good, so therefore he has to be perfect. Or is it because he wants control and he wants to have power and he wants to, you know, um, argue for the sake of, of um, not being controlled by others? And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different things that underline what drives that argument. And that's where it gets interesting to me. Hmm. Okay. I'm a little more interested now. My, my curiosity yeah. has been piqued. Andy, we're going to need you to lie down on a couch real quick, and we're going to talk to you about when you were a kid <laughs> and try to figure out a little bit more why you're such a challenger and such Maybe a maverick. Your childhood traumas. We're going to yeah. go through all that today. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so let's... Got? 
yeah, <laughs> how much time we got? I, I this, Go ahead. I can even break this down for you. Like, if you look at it, like, I mean, this, I don't know if this is going to help you at all, but when we're kids, when we're children, at one point we are taught how to be. Yeah. Your personality gets created. Your mm -hmm. ego is, is created at that point, right? So we, we're usually taught this from our parents. We're taught this from society. But a lot of times it's familial units that, that teaches you. That's your ego. That becomes oftentimes what this way of viewing the world is. And it can be based on all those nine different viewpoints. And there's ways to categorize. I'm not even coming close to scratching the surface for how deep this goes in. And that's your ego. And, and really where I think the church and where I think some places really miss this is they get excited by, oh, I'm such a nine or I'm such a six. Look at my, look at who I am. And they box themselves into this category as if it's like a party game. Really, mm -hmm. that's not what the, the Enneagram is designed to do is it's to show you the box you're already in so that you can free yourself from it. And so really, that's really what it is, is it shows you your ego self. So if you look at Carl Jung, like he talked about earlier, he says there's a wholeness, there's a yin and yang to everyone. There's a there's a light and a dark side. And most of us repress the darkness. And, and then it comes out sideways. It comes out in ways that are either harmful or through addictions or through different things. But until you're able to look at the shadow self, and that includes your ego, and this is a tool that shows you what that is, um, it, you can't really incorporate your wholeness and who you are. You're still going to live in the ego. It's your your brain thinks this is who I am when really there's something underneath it. So I, I do know that I'm getting, you know, a little bit deeper into this than it probably needs to be. But, you know, in the context of a, a workplace, I'm not going to push this stuff on there. I use it differently in the workplace than what mm -hmm. I'm saying here. I use it to understand people. And now that I know what their core motivations and fears are, um, I can understand and be empathetic and understand how to handle conflict and um, not avoid triggers, but also just be empathetic in those moments and know how to set them up for success and know how to put them in positions where they succeed too. Wow. That was cool. Actually, now I'm, I'm a fan of the Enneagram. You did it. You finally broke me. Um, I think if I see it a little bit differently, like a little bit less like a score. So, so when I took it, I mean, it, it gives you sort of your two like primary yeah. uh, energy forces or what do you want to say? Categories, numbers, let's say. And then it, it showed like a percentage for each one down the line. And I think like my lowest percentage, whatever it was, it was actually what my wife most is. <laughs> it's like a supporter or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, that's no yeah. surprise. You know, but what I didn't understand is, is that you're you're kind of supposed to pick the one that most represents you, which I, I think I picked the wrong one. Mm -hmm. I think what I actually am for what it's worth is a five, which is an investigative thinker um, that mm -hmm. then wings or the little W, the, the, so, so you, I'm a five wing six to one of the energies mm -hmm. or the numbers next to you. Um, and then yes. that interacts across the way with the other nine. I mean, it gets it gets very compli uh, complicated, but I think I missed that. And so I, I think really what I would say to people watching this, if you've not taken the Enneagram, probably taking a 10 or 15 minute test is the wrong way to approach this one. It's mm -hmm. probably better, mm -hmm. as you sort of alluded to, to, to read through it, uh, maybe take a test mm -hmm. to sort of understand the range that you're in or that you aren't in, and then read through them all, like you said, and sort of pick out some things. And maybe this is like the greater point of all this is that, you know, personality tests, it's easy to view them in a negative way. Like, oh, there's negative things about INTJ. There's also ways to view it like that it's just such a positive thing. Like this is the way that God made me and it's the best. And I don't know that either one is right. And I think also just let's be honest, you talked about shadow self and shadows of different aspects. Like I have aspects of all the personality types at different times. Under stress, mm -hmm. I act differently. The way I act around different groups may be different. The way that I actually see myself in my darkest moments is probably a little bit different. And so obviously the self, it turns out, is a pretty complicated thing. And so I think you know, studying these different things, looking at the different colorations of how people view personality is helpful. Um, and I don't think that's any different mm -hmm. than understanding any like topic. Uh, I think looking at things from a different point of view, looking at it from underneath, from on top, from the side, in the in the dark in the light i think it allows us to see better who we are and i think what you said grant is awesome it allows us to see who we could be uh once we free mm -hmm. ourselves and so that should be the goal is is not to pigeonhole yourself or your teams but to illuminate for them here's where you are where would you like to be and uh you know so yeah. I, I think there's endless potential with all types of personalities 
um, except for ISFPs, except for them. Those are the only ones. <laughs> I'm kidding. My good friend JK is an ISFP. I love you, JK. All right, go ahead, Grant. Sorry. I was going to say with the Enneagram, what you said there, here's who you are and here's what you could be. So the, from the context of an Enneagram, they would, they would mm -hmm. shift this, the language of that to be, here's who you think you are and mm -hmm. here's who you really are. Hmm. So that's one thing that, oh, sorry. Yeah. That's like the ego self is telling you, this is who an ego means. I am right. Hmm. Your personality is who you think you are. And so underneath it, and, and the ego, we, we, we use this as something that says, hey, this is bad, but it's actually protected you for years. It's something that you've used and developed to create who you are. You'll see it all the way through, even our early professional careers. Um, but until you start seeing you know, what it really is and understanding it and, and having a good relationship with it, even the, the bad things from it too, um, you'll see you are something different than what that is underneath. And I think that's the beauty of it. Um, but that's the language of an Enneagram, I think, in that case is, is how that would be a little bit different. Hmm. Very cool. Okay, so we're going to leave the Enneagram. The train is headed out, and we're going to finish with a little bit of discussion on the DISC profile. Um, you mentioned this, Andy, but uh, Neil Kravitz does an excellent lecture on this. He even talks about the car types that go with the different <laughs> parts of the DISC profile, mm -hmm. which is really funny. Um, so catch that lecture if you can. Neil always does a great job, but I really like that lecture he gives. Uh, it's one of the older personality tests. Uh, I think it's actually the first one that I learned. I think somewhere in like elementary or middle school, we took the DISC profile. Well, I actually took it during some 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 marriage like therapy or marriage conference stuff recently. And uh, I guess I would say I think it's probably the simplest. Um, and I could be wrong in that, but I, I think on some levels it's maybe the simplest. And in that sense, it's probably the least accurate. Um, I don't know that the science on it and the statistics on it really like line up quite as well as some of the other ones. But I do think this is maybe the best um, first foray into personality types because mm -hmm. I think it does sort of like make it simpler. And in some ways, it's almost like a simplified MBTI, uh, perhaps. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're not familiar with the DISC profile, it is a behavioral assessment tool used to measure an individual's personality and behavior, just like everything else, basically. Um, the four personality types, the DISC, which is an acronym, is dominant, influential, steady, and conscientious. And so let me read about what those are. Uh, dominant, or a D, this style is focused on results, and it is characterized by assertiveness, decisiveness, and the ability to take control. This is actually the least common of the DISC. And so your prototypical CEO, entrepreneur, uh, strong alpha male, female personality, that is a D type person. Okay. Um, they would drive a pickup truck that's lifted with chrome and stuff like that. You know, very strong personality. Um, influential or I, this style is focused on people and communication. Uh, it's characterized by enthusiasm, persuasiveness, and the ability to lead and motivate others. And so sort of a cult of personality type, um, someone who's a leader of men or women, that, that kind of a personality type, charismatic people. Um, S, or steady, this is the most common of the DISC, uh, and it's focused on cooperation and is characterized by patience, reliability, and the ability to listen. As Andy said, this is the one that Neil says to hire. These are great teammates, and, and they're great in an organization, and they're there to cooperate and to listen and, 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 and so on. Now, the ones you want to avoid um, are, are me, because I am a C-type. I'm a conscientious, compliant person. <laughs> so um, this style is focused on accuracy and is characterized by detail orientation, caution, and the ability to follow rules and procedures. I think Neil, when he's making his joke about the cars that they would pick, um, I can't remember what he says for DINS, but on I think on D he says like a sports car. Um, S is like a minivan. I, I can't remember what he says on I, but uh, C he says they haven't bought a car because they still haven't decided what car to get, which is hilarious because that is totally me and so a c type i think also lines up pretty well with a fact finder from colby for whatever it's worth um and so uh for what it's worth i'm a c but i become dominant under stress which is another interesting thing about disc profile is there's different variations on how you see yourself how you actually are and then how you are when kind of put on the spot and so when i'm put in a leadership position i become more dominant let's say. Um, so, uh, Grant, do you know your disc? I actually don't. I, you guys could probably guess for me. You, you guessed my MBTI. You could probably get mine right for this one, too. Well, you're an S or an I. Uh, my, my wife is an S and an I. I would think you're probably an I, more mm -hmm. more, and a little bit of an S. Um, that would be my Andy, guess as well. 
Andy, we all know what you are, but go ahead and just tell us if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm a DI and I, uh, I go stronger to D when I get in under stress too, which is interesting. I mean, I, my, my team even calls me out on this sometimes. Like if, if we're having a very busy day, I just go right into direct remote. I'm like, you go here, here, here. I don't have time for your feelings. It just gotta, it gotta be done. And, um, but yeah, my more natural when I'm relaxed is more just kind of easy going and more, you know, let's have some fun while we do this. And, uh, yeah, so definitely DI, which fits perfectly with my Enneagram, which is eight wing seven. So, you know, eight is basically the prototypical D, um, we can edit that out, right? No, just <laughs> no, D, 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 uh, for, then... <laughs> D for Diva. We're, we're, keep, we're keeping that. If, if I mean, diva, the, that's, that's the, jokes, I the, the jokes write themselves when you're a DI. I mean, you know, there's two more letters that go in that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we, we get it. Uh, yeah. And uh, then, of course, seven is is basically that, that I personality, you know, just constantly out there, enthusiastic, outgoing. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my disc, you could superimpose it over my Enneagram and it would be right there. Yeah, that's cool. And there is where we'll end a lot of these discussions on personality types is that there is a lot of crossover. And I do think it's synergistic in the sense that the more of these you take and you research and you understand, the better you get a view of your own self. And so instead of just a one dimensional uh, version of yourself or two dimensional, you take more and more tests and you start to see yourself uh, in the different ways that you are. And so let's end with this big picture wise, because for some people, I think those who know these tests, there's been some familiarity along the way for others. This may be just like, man, I'm like super confused. I don't know. I, I hope that we scratch the surface enough that you are interested and that you can seek out other information. Um, but what's the big picture with personality tests? And, and I guess really like to the main point, how can this help us be better leaders, better husbands, better friends, and so on? Uh, I'm going to go with Andy. Andy, what do you got? Cool. Um, well, I think, in, like I said, in the workplace, I think this is a valuable tool for introspection, understanding how you project yourself and um, learning to be uh, more, to encode your messages better. Uh, so there's a huge component of communication. Um, and then again, uh, empathy. If you understand yourself and you can understand others, uh, then you can understand what drives them and you can motivate them appropriately, um, enrich their lives appropriately, which really is the fundamental job as our as leaders. Uh, for personal growth, I've, I actually find that to be almost more rewarding. Um, Grant talked about this quite a bit. Um, but, you know, when Grant and I have spoken, he's encouraged me not to get over identified with my personality. And when people first get into something like the Myers Briggs type index, that's exactly what they do is I'm an ENTP, so I'm a smart ass and I do all this kind of stuff. Or I'm an INTJ. And I, uh, you know, I, I overanalyze and, and, and very meticulous. And it almost becomes a source of pride and ego, which is the opposite direction of where these things are intended for personal growth. As Grant was saying, um, or as Carl Jung would say, the, the persona is that outward appearance. It's that, that wall that we've built up, the mask that we put on to cope with the world as we perceive it. And um, the real introspective work is getting past that mask and recognizing who you really are as a human being, um, as opposed to what you've been taught to be or how you've responded to your environment. So mm -hmm. I think both of those things, but to be honest with you, uh, again, especially as an ENTP, I just kind of like the memes too. These things are hilarious. Yeah, the memes are there's great. A, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of... Once you once you get, once you get into MBTI, there's a lot of pages to follow. I know you follow some of these, Kyle. I repost every now and then, but when you get this stuff, um, it's it's just hilarious. So there's uh, also unfortunately, that I, I send the ENFP memes to my wife, and it makes her sad every time. And that's kind of like the prevailing <laughs> well, joke ENFP. about ENFP. Yeah, I I know, and it's like, no, babe, it's supposed to be funny. It's like, well. Is it yeah. funny? What are you trying to say? You know, so um, yes, follow all the meme pages. Uh, so Grant, what are your kind of parting thoughts on personality tests? I think um, from the from the discussion we had earlier, people are gonna be like, man, I don't want to go into all that stuff. So if you look at just the context of an orthodontic clinic, how you can use these personality types or the Enneagram, I think it's just an ability. Uh, it gives you the ability to speak a language or at least understand a language different than your own. Um, when you learn about other people and how they perceive the world. And I think for me, it's helped me to not only understand how I'm speaking to others, so I know, you know, hey, how might this come off? But I also can understand how to speak someone else's language when I understand their 
Colby and their Enneagram and their MBTI. If you look at all that stuff, that's a that's a whole different language that they understand and know. So that when we sit down, we can have an open and honest conversation with each other about maybe differences in how we see it, but also appreciating and validating their experiences. And I think that leads to better communication, leads to better resolution of conflicts. It leads to just a better overall team when you have multiple perspectives that you might be missing if everyone's the same. So um, for me, it just makes sense to to hire that diversity, even in personality at your at your office. So in the personal life, um, like Andy said, it's just I love talking to Andy for hours about this stuff. I mean, it's to me, it's it's you can go very deep in, in yourself to understand self um, and what you peel back over the years and what you thought you knew is really mind blowing um, when you go there. It's not easy um, at all. I don't think it's supposed to be easy, though. So. I think as we, we kind of uncover things about our, our personas and, and who we are underneath, you, you really learn things that make you a, a more humble, um, inclusive leader and person in it really in the world. I think you realize how connected many things really are through it. So, yeah, yeah that's all I got. Excellent. Guys, it may not surprise you at all, but I really enjoyed this. I, I've been wanting to do this for a yeah. while, and I'm, I'm grateful that you both were interested and willing to do it, that you took time away from your families and so on. Uh, and Grant, I know... Kimberly's really like the Enneagram. She's a coach, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is. She's actually certified now officially. She's okay, a coach. Great. She was giving me pointers right before I got on here. I'm like, good. I was saying, I'm like, my wife, Kimberly, she should have been the one on here. So she's you kept looking so down. Smart. I'm guessing she's down there coaching you. She's like, Grant. She's got all my, yeah. she gave me notes. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, you, you got it. That's but, great. Uh, man, she's so smart. So go talk to her if you want to actually learn real stuff. Yeah. I, was, I always say this at the end, but if, if people want to get in touch, where, where's the best place to find you? And then also maybe Grant, in your case, to find your wife to get the real answers. But where, where can people find you? Yeah, I would say uh, Kimberly is the best place for us. Like she's the expert. She wants to do this stuff. She enjoys it. She's been doing coaching. So Kimberly at RochesterOrthodox.com. She can help you with typing, which is really hard and stressful for most people. She can get on a, a Zoom call with you and tease some of that out. Um, says the introvert i ask how to reach yeah. him and he's like uh you actually d you're not gonna want to reach me because i don't want that that's wonderful okay so so kimberly rochester orthodontics.com right uh andy what yeah. about you man she's good just find me at the nearest bar smoking a cigar or having a cocktail. <laughs> no um no i so facebook messenger works great instant um instagram messenger uh if anyone wants to email me uh, my email is andy.sarpadar at gmail.com uh, How many so unread emails do you yeah. have, Andy? How many unread emails? Uh, <laughs> it would stress you out. I <laughs> uh, no. you, yeah, you know. I've tried your productivity tools, and I'm, I'm too much of a P, man. I'm just like, ah, what if I want to respond yeah. to that later, you know? And Yeah, I have yeah, zero. I, I have zero unread emails. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a conversation yeah. for another day. So, guys, seriously, this was awesome. Um, are any are you all speaking or doing any events coming up? Is there anything that people want to be aware of? Grant? Yeah, I mean, I'll be at uh, Mother of Pearls in the fall, I'll be speaking awesome. a little bit, kind of touching on some of the Enneagram stuff, but a lot of it is, oh. you know, leadership, Enneagram, um, just growth as a team, just my journey in general, just kind of where I'm at in my professional life and go from there. Um, but I'll be joining you guys uh, as well. Yeah. I, I think relapse so I'm excited to do those. Yeah, so, there is yeah. there's a surprise at the AAO. Uh, I'm also going to try to wrangle you into the Orthodontic Awards, but we'll see. Uh, Annie, you got anything uh, going on coming up? Also, Mother Pearls. Uh, so that's October 12th through 14th in San Diego. Um, so yeah, I topic to be determined at this point, but uh, I will be there as well. Uh, looking forward to the aircraft carrier. My whole team's going to be there in their flight suits. So this nice. is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah Re Relapse is playing on the USS Midway uh, in San Diego, so we're going to have a Top Gun theme. I can't wait. Uh, we may do like an 80s movie uh, medley of some songs, and so we'll see what happens. I just want to do Footloose. That's all I really care about. So, um, All right, so for me, I've got a few things. I'm going to shift over to this camera before we say goodbye. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are going to the AO in Chicago. I hope you will be. I'll be there all weekend. I say this every year, but this is going to be the busiest AO I've ever had, and I hope it's the busiest that I ever have. But anyway, um, Neon Canvas is going to be there all weekend. We've got a client-only event at the Cubs-Dodgers game Friday at 100, uh, 120, <laughs> 120 p.m. You guys are welcome to attend if you're going to be in town. We'll talk about that. Andy definitely is. Um, and so we've rented out the entire right field uh, private area, which is going to be awesome. Um, 
let's see. I'm also lecturing Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on happiness, stress, and mental health. Some of this today will make its way into that, I'm sure. Um, and then we're going to have the first ever uh, orthodontic awards. And so we're going to have an actual ceremony. I wasn't planning on doing an actual ceremony, but people brought it up, and I was like, yeah, let's do a ceremony. And so we've rented out Theater 2 uh, on the exhibit hall floor. It's going to be Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Uh, I'm going to be co-hosting it with Anil Adikula. We're going to like roast people and do like an opening monologue. We're going to have uh, orthodontists who are going to do like special like entertainment like uh, singing and dancing and other stuff we're going to have famous orthodontists presenting awards there's going to be 20 different awards uh over 100 nominees a bunch of people presenting there's going to be a red carpet we have a 12 inch tall golden molar that's actually being cast in bronze i hope as we speak so we'll have it uh, and voting will start soon so you'll want to go to the digital orthodontist facebook group uh, there'll be more details there and then lastly uh, relapse is going to be playing at the aao celebration this is going to be Sunday at 4.45 p.m. for a couple hours. It's at the Trust Arena, which is where the WNBA team plays. I mean, honestly, I've been playing drums for 25 years now. This will be the biggest gig I've ever done, and I am super stoked. Um, thanks for listening to this. You, yes, you out there uh, on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you're listening. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, Grant, can you actually say please give us a five-star review because they might do it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, please give us a five-star review. Thank it's you. Deserved. Kyle works hard at these. The so. braces guy said it, so please go do it. And go follow him and follow Andy. Um, and then join the Facebook group if you're not in it, the Digital Orthodontist. There's like 5,700 people there, and it, you'd be better off joining it than not, okay? Um, all right, so finally, thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you to Dr. Grant Collins, Dr. Andy Sarpedar. You guys were awesome. You are super knowledgeable on this. Fantastic job. Let's add a, a clapping sound for them and maybe somebody in the back whistling um, at both of them because they're both so handsome. Um, thanks for being here. Uh, also, thank you to Neon Canvas for sponsoring this episode and this podcast and for purchasing this table. Um, and thank you to my team. I've got Alan over here, Scott, Kurt, Tom, and Anna. They always help me so much. And from all of us here at The Digital Orthodontist, I'm Dr. Kyle Fagala, signing off. See you soon. <laughs>